If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah chapter 13. Um, I want to speak to you on how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Uh, the younger we are, we don't really care about that. The older you get, you begin to wonder, has my life counted for anything? Have I been focused in the right direction? And that's not to say that any of us are perfect and we've got everything lined out. But I think all of us, uh, and I take this from a couple of areas in Scripture. For one, in uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse 42, which I've preached on this before and you've read many, many times, where the thief on the cross there, there were two of them, of course, but one of them says uh, towards the end of his life and suffering, he says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And I didn't think about it at the time until this began to hit me in Nehemiah. He wanted to be remembered for salvation. Lord, remember me. And of course, I love that passage because the Lord said, I'll do you more than just remembering when I get to the kingdom. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And I just love that one. And then I found this other one. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me. Now those are the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12. And he said, you're remembering me because of the service I have rendered. That is, planting churches and preaching and helping them. And he stayed a period of time in Corinth and other places as well. Then the Lord himself, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now what he was talking about is his sanctifying power. Remember my sanctifying power. So he said, as oft as you drink of this cup and eat of my flesh, remember me. So the truth is everyone wants to feel important and be remembered as our life has had some substance to it that has been had an impact on this world for good. So with that, let me take you to Nehemiah 13, and um, there's connective verses here. So verse 14 is the first place I came across this. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and I'll get back to that one in just a moment, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices Thereof. Now, what he's referring to is that in the previous verses, he had found that the Levites and the priests had exited the ministry. They were no longer there. And he says in verse 10, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Things weren't being managed well, and so they were not being paid, which they were supposed to. That was supposed to be their life work, but they had to make a living for their family, so they left. Verse 11, Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Well, he knew exactly, and we'll get to that one next. And so... As any leader, any man of God, when you have to confront people and you're trying to get things in order and get them right after it's over with, I mean, you steal yourself to do what's right and you forge ahead, but after it's over with, you're thinking, okay, is everything going to blow up now? Have I messed up? So he says, remember me, oh my God, concerning this, this issue, this, this problem, and wipe not out my good deeds. In other words, don't let this be the only thing I'm remembered for that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. Then in verse 22, 
And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Now, if you'll go up to verse 17, then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, what evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? They weren't giving. They had not given and they were not sanctifying themselves for the Lord's day. It was not on their priority list. And so with it not being a priority, obviously the, the uh, Levites and the priests were left out. And so he contends with both of these groups. And then we get to verse uh, 31. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me, O oh my God, for good. Well, this is really the end of another contentious point in verse 24. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. He actually got pretty physical with them and made them swear by God saying, ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. And so he contended with them on these three particular fronts that were pretty personal for each one of them. So obviously in these key verses... In verse 14, he says, remember me, O my God, concerning this. In verse 25, he says, remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. And in verse 31, remember me, O my God, for good. So we all, I believe, want to be remembered. It's unfortunate that some major crimes have been committed just to be remembered. I think it's been great in the last couple decades where they just, when there have been some really heinous crimes, they just, they don't give the person's name, where they're from, things of that nature, maybe where they're from, but they, they know they're doing this for notoriety. It's sad and unfortunate that some really bad things have been done just to be remembered for that. So the real question tonight that I deal with concerning me and concerning you is how do you want to be remembered by the Lord. This is what Nehemiah's thing was. He wasn't talking to the people about being remembered for such things. He was talking to him who knows the hearts, the motives, the minds behind everything. And he says, remember me, oh my God, for good, for good. So I can think of several ways that I would like to be remembered and I would assume that probably you do as well. There may be some other things we can mention in this list, but number one, I want to be remembered as a worker. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, the Bible says, for we are laborers together with God. In Ephesians, Paul uses the term, we are created unto good works. And so I want to be remembered as a worker. I want to be a worker for the Lord. And um, as, the, um, as I've stated in, other, in this sermon and other places, one of the few. You say, well, what do you mean by one of the few? Well, Matthew 9.37 says, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are 
few. Everybody knows that verse pretty. You know about every missionary that comes through preaches on that passage of scripture. And uh, they're usually uh, pleading for help or hoping that their message would encourage a spark of missions interest. And so we find the harvest is plenteous. Certainly we know that, that the fields are full, but the laborers are few. Uh, we're supposed to be laborers. We're supposed to be workers for the Lord. As I said from Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created unto good works. That's what's supposed to happen. Our Lord was that way. He, uh, he, he was working continuously. And um, I remember when, uh, when I was growing up, it seemed like we sang all the time, we'll work till Jesus comes. That was just one of them good old songs. I just remember over, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes, then we'll be gathered home. And I thought, you know, the Free Will Baptist motto in these days ought to be, we'll whine till Jesus comes. We'll just whine, you know, about this, about that. And, and so we'll just whine till Jesus comes. And in the meantime, nothing is getting finished. I had the privilege this past uh, week of uh, Vicki and I went to the Cramerton area, her sister's there. So we got to spend a couple of days with them, fellowship a little bit. And um, Kyle, I was with him, uh, Karen's husband, and, and uh, he was on the phone and I recognized who he was talking to. It was John Gibbs. And uh, John comes from years back, was a great baritone singer and a preacher. And, and uh, man, I was thrilled. I mean, I used to listen to him. And uh, so, you know, I said, I, I'd, I'd like to see John because he was going to go see him. So we went to see him. And, and what a grand occasion it was to see him. And he talked, I remember the first time I ever heard the song Beulah Land, it was John Gibbs that sang that. And what a beautiful voice he had. And uh, man, you're talking about a laborer. He labored and labored, but he sang another song and a portion of it says, my house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? Well, that goes along with what we're talking about is that the Lord said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And obviously I noticed from our announcements and have for a while that when we're having things that uh, are being done, programs for our people, that there's always a plea for workers. And um, I've heard that uh, the workers are getting fewer uh, for whatever reason that may be, but we're supposed to be workers for the Lord. The sad commentary is, as I've pastored all these years, the statistic has never changed as far as I know that it's only 10% of your average attendance that does all the work. That's a sad commentary on the church. I remember seeing, uh, reading a little story about it, and we see a lot of signs now, help wanted. We'll not get into the reasons why, but we'll see help wanted. And there was a little boy that passed a store and he saw this sign that said, boy wanted, meaning help. I need a boy for help. So he walks in and uh, he picks up the sign and he takes it to the owner and said, uh, I want to help. And the, and the owner kind of laughed at him. He's a little boy and says, what in the world can you do? Well, it made the little boy mad. And he said, I can do what I'm told. <laughs> boy, I know a lot of adults can't do what they're told. It's not surprising about children, but he said, I can do what I'm told. Are we doing what we are told? Are we doing what we have been commanded is to be workers for the Lord, one of the few, because 
The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. One of the faithful in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Apostle Paul wrote by inspiration, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want to be remembered as a worker. I think I've used the illustration before. For those who will go back as far as me, there was a, the Dobie Gillis show. And the Dobie Gillis show had a, a beatnik in those days, a hippie in our day. And his, uh, his name was Maynard G. Krebs. And he was always noted for when there was talk going on, if somebody said the word work, Maynard would cringe and he'd go, work? And he'd find the nearest exit. <laughs> Maynard wasn't going to do any work. And I've met a lot of Maynards in my years of pastoring. I hope we're not one. I hope we won't be remembered as being Maynards. I want to be remembered by the Lord as a worker. Secondly, I want to be remembered as a warrior. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, as the apostle was writing to young Timothy, he said, Thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him. And that's the key, that's the focus. Him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, I think there's several things we need to think about in this area of being a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we ought to be discerning warriors. In Ephesians 6:12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, discerning warriors fight the right things. I've seen a few funny programs and cartoons, but it's happened in other areas where you'll find somebody's fighting and they just lose their mind and fight everybody. It didn't matter whether they were friend or foe. They're going to hit anybody just to hit somebody. I experienced some of that when I was playing sports. <laughs> some of the, the, the do-good guys that were on my team ended up hitting some of the guys on our team. We've heard a friendly fire in a sadder way in the military. We need to fight the right things. I always think about David and Saul when it comes to that. David, it's amazing. David says on several occasions, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And that's always been an interesting statement to me because David was the Lord's anointed. Say, well, what do you get out of that? I get out of that on a preacher level that preachers need to leave preachers alone. <laughs> leave them alone. It's between them and God. You, you mind your own business. You do your own thing. And uh, it, it was just interesting. And we need to be discerning warriors that fight the right things. We are not the enemy of one another. We're the family of God. And each of us may not do things that please each other. Well, the Bible has a remedy for that. Matter of fact, Galatians 6.1 says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, if you figured they have erred. And Matthew goes on further to say, let's do this one-on-one. -on -one. Pastor preached on that not long ago, did a great job in talking about that tough passage of Scripture that deals with how we deal with fellow believers. We're to be discerning warriors. We're not just supposed to pick up our equipment, spiritually speaking, and fight anything that moves. We're to be 
discerning warriors. We're to be divine warriors. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, simply meaning they are spiritual. So I want to fight the right fight. I don't want to go to a gunfight with a knife, by the way. You can't fight temptation, wickedness, and Satan with the flesh. It can't be done. They can only be defeated with scripture, faith, and prayer. And I want to be a diligent warrior. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought. This is at the end of Paul's life. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And that's a true statement because the Lord included that in Holy Writ. That was part of his inspired writing. I want to fight to the end. I want to finish well. And when I leave this world, I want to go with an unmovable, unremovable grip on Jesus. I think about Eliezer, who was one of David's mighty men. It said he had an area, a small area that he was protecting. And he said he clave so long to the sword that he could not let go of it. His hand clave into the sword. And in, uh, I'm trying to figure out what exactly does that mean? And then it hit me when I was pastoring West Duplin down the road many years ago, we had a, uh, a fellowship hall, but it had a flat roof. You know what happens to flat roofs? <laughs> they leak. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it may have been all the money. And so we decided I, I'd had to deal with while I passing there dealing with a flat roof and the effects thereof on several occasions. I said, we're going to fix this. So we raised money. We had a bunch of men in the church. And so we got trusses. And on one Saturday, I called on everybody to get out there who knew how to do things. And I had several guys that were very top notch at this. And so we A-framed that thing and we papered it in. Man, that was great. We were thrilled. We did it on a Saturday, the whole thing. It was 50 feet by 100 feet. That's a lot of territory. We had a lot of guys. They did great work. It still stands today. They ended up making rooms out of it for their school. But what I did not uh, anticipate was that when we were getting ready to put on shingles on top of that paper, that I wouldn't have any workers left. <laughs> So it ended up being me and my associate, and thank the Lord, he was raised in a family that put on roofs. They shingled. That's what they did for a living. So he was raised doing that. He was top-notch at it. Well, of course, he was a lot younger than me. But anyway, the both of us, him and myself, we put all the shingles on that roof. I can't remember how many days it took us to do that, but I remember every day I came off, I had my hammer in my hand and I couldn't hardly let go of it. And it was painful to pry my fingers off that. Literally, it, it was. A, so that's what that means when it said Eliezer fought till his hand clave unto the sword. I'm just simply saying tonight, when I die, spiritually speaking, I'm clinging to Jesus. That's the way I want it to be all the way to the end. Then lastly, I want to be remembered as a witness. In Acts 1.8, the Bible says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea, Judea and Samaria and the other most part of the earth. We all know that very, very well. So I could finish by saying, you know, we just need to be witnesses. Well, I think there's a little more to it than just wanting to be a witness. When the Lord spoke to me about this particular subject, the whole thing, and then getting to this particular point, I thought about the fact that I want the Lord to know that he can count on me in a pinch. <laughs> we understand what a pinch is. You know, you, you need help really bad, so you call on a friend. 
You know, I wouldn't call on you otherwise, but I need your help. Can you help me? All of us cross people's paths. No telling how many paths we cross in the segment of life that we have to live. And I certainly believe that the Lord leads us to cross some people's paths that's critical. And there have been many times, and you've heard me say this before, this is nothing new, but you know, I believe every believer has these experiences when you meet somebody and the Holy Spirit all of a sudden says, say something, <laughs> you know, and you understand what he's saying. You want him to witness. He wants you to witness. He wants you to say something for the Lord. Say something. Say something. I, I couldn't tell you how many hundreds of times that's happened to me during my life. One time happened at a, at a fuel pump. I'm pumping gas. Guy pulls up on the other side and I've shared with you how I like North Carolina. You can talk to anybody anytime, anywhere, you know. You can wave, whatever. It's just, it's just the atmosphere, the culture we have here. And uh, so, you know, nodded to this guy and uh, how you doing today? And, and it just progressed. And so I didn't have time to give a full witness, but I did have a track in my pocket. So I said, how about reading this when you get a chance? But the Holy Spirit was the one that nudged that. Say something. Just say something. Anything. I had it happen. I was preaching in the western part of the state and I was early for a service. I thought it was a 6.30 service and it was a 7 o'clock service. And so I needed something. I went back to a little uh, convenience store that I had seen. And so I stopped back there for a moment. I walk in. I didn't need gas, but I had to have something else. And there's this young girl behind the counter. She was probably mid-20s. And so I walk in and the Holy Spirit says, say something. So I got what I was going to get quickly and went to the counter and paid for it. And then I started talking to her about the Lord. And, uh, you know, you can always count on the devil being the devil. I mean, a pile of people started coming in at that point. And there was no way in the world I could continue the talk. But I pulled out a track again and I said, when you get a chance, would you read this? And she said, yes, sir, I will. You know, I could have easily just passed that off. And I've unfortunately done that on a couple of occasions. But on those couple of occasions, I felt so under conviction, I told the Lord, I want you to be able to count on me in a pinch. If there's somebody that's anytime, I want to be able to witness somebody when your Holy Spirit says so. But I don't know when I run across somebody that it may be more critical than anybody else. Maybe their time on earth is coming to an end. Maybe they're contemplating things that would scare all of us. So I want the Lord to remember me as a witness. Nehemiah wanted to be remembered for a lot of things. And we've read those three here. And he was concerned about some of the decisions he made, some of the confrontations that he had. And he's just asked the Lord, please remember me for good. Not too many years back, I ran across a poem. I don't know if you've read this before or not. I heard this actually at a funeral. It's called The Dash Poem. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For the dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know that, that little line, what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. 
So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change for you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged? If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the people, the, the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives that we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? And we all know that famous statement, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I know how I want to be remembered by the Lord. How do you want to be remembered? Father, thank you for giving us the choice to trust you as personal Savior and the choice to enter into the harvest in whatever capacity that is, whether it's VBS, whether it's visitation, whatever it may be. Lord, we thank you. I pray that you would help us to keep in mind that as we are remembered, we want to be remembered by you. That's the real driving force. And this little poem that talks about our dash, that dash certainly is a dash of life. For us that are older, we look back and we wonder, how'd this go by so quickly? So Lord, in the time that goes by so quickly, as a vapor, as quick as a weaver's shuttle, help us to number our days and apply them unto wisdom. And at the end of it, that you'll remember us as people who were willing to work, who were willing to be warriors for you, stand in the gap, and were willing to be witnesses. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.